I already warned him. We already <laughs> we already talked about the cuss words we could say and not get fired. Oh my god! No, I, shitstorm listen, was one of them. If, exactly. If I if I didn't get fired for that one episode where you sent me a text and said that was kind of much, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised that? you survived that. Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> Yeah, you dropped some names on that one. I no, thought you were I going didn't. to the Archbishop's office. Well, wait, that, no, you're talking about that other one. Yeah, no, I, I oh, yeah, the other one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that was. Uh, <laughs> what, which one was that? Which one was that? The one where I was mad about the convocation. I was just like, screw it. He just threw like the whole bishops conference under the table and named names. It was and everyone it was, uh, was and everyone was happy that I did it, but the people whose whose names I named. Imagine that. <laughs> I miss working with you, Luke. I miss it. I do, too. I do miss you guys. I do. Luke Carey is our own Archbishop Vigano. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do like to tussle um, Michael Boris's hair before I go to bed every night, so... So I'm very excited about uh, uh, this episode. We are here with two of my favorite people ever. We're here with um, Sean Ader and also with um, Mike Schaefer from the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Huh? Um, you can name it now. I can yeah. say it now. I used to work for Sean, I mean, on paper. And um, <laughs> and Mike, uh, I never worked for you directly, but we worked together on like a whole lot of stuff. Absolutely. So, and you gave me my favorite bottle of bourbon that I've ever had that wasn't Pappy Van Winkle. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Whoa, what uh, was that? Uh, it was the Woodford. It was the Woodford Reserve Double Oaked. And it was oh, at my yeah, birthday good. party that we went to out in that bar in Covington. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was a great. That was a great party. And I was so, actually the first time I met Dominic Albano in person. Who? Now, oh, that's right. Well, who works for us? So yeah, yeah, yeah. huge friend of of. Uh, I, he's kind of one of those backdoor pot, like podcast friends. Anything that he says to us about our show, I really actually take take to heart because I trust him. And then, I'm, and yeah. we also, well, I'm, I'm acting like I'm Gomer's a guest. We're also here with Gomer too. Say hi. Hi, hi. My name is Michael Gormley. I've been working in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati for a little over five years now, running the young <laughs> adult office. It's been exciting. Uh, basically, I organize large events with alcohol so that I can drink for free. Oh wait, that's Luke Carey. No, I, I never, drew, I never put alcohol on the credit card. It was about community. It was about community. It was about, yeah, <laughs> I put it on my own card, and I was like, "When in Rome." <laughs> so uh, we're here to talk about the beacons of light thing, which uh, you guys are both heavily involved with. So before we start, why don't you just kind of sh- like talk a bit about like what your guys' roles are over at the Archdiocese? Okay, well I'll start. Uh, so I am the director of the Center for the New Evangelization. Uh, which is um, something that Luke was kind of on the ground floor of um, uh, a few years ago. But it's really just a combination of all the evangelization offices in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. So probably about, I would say, two or three years ago, we, um, we kind of got together and started praying and discerning uh, where the Lord was calling us as an archdiocese for evangelization. All the offices kind of involved in evangelization prayed about and discerned coming together under under the Center for the New Evangelization. So at the time, it was the Office for Young Adult Evangelization, which Luke was a part of. You've heard Brad Bursa's name mentioned many times here. Uh, he was the director of the Office for Youth Evangelization. Like too many times. Too many like, times. I have yeah. stolen every time. Everyone's like, Luke had a great point there. I'm like, I stole that from Brad. It was all Brad. Every, every yeah. like, every, Every awesome thing that Luke says, 
I've heard it come from Brad's mouth. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah so he's measured. an awesome dude. Dan Simmons, who uh, was our director for um, marriage and family evangelization, is an awesome guy and had some great ideas. He just left us as well. College and campus evangelization, even eventually Hispanic evangelization. We all kind of like uh, came together and decided not be separate offices anymore, but be part of the, the Center for the New Evangelization. So I'm the director of that. And Mike is my boss. So, uh, yeah, my name is Mike Schaefer. I'm the, I joined the Archdiocese as the Director of uh, Communication and Mission Promotion, was my title, um, and oversaw both media relations and uh, the Catholic Telegraph. I'm proud of the job we've done with the Catholic Telegraph, especially, well, media relations too, honestly. I agree. But, um, and then uh, recently, I think it was what, Sean, January or February? January, yeah. Yeah, the Center for the New Evangelization, I took over oversight of that as well, mainly to free up the mind space and the time for Father Jan Schmidt to focus on his leadership of Beacons of Light because that was so extensive. And it feels pretty natural because I've inter- you know interacted and collaborated with Sean on many, many things almost from the day I walked in the door. And so I feel like we've had this uh, sort of common vision ever since the start. The way I look at, at Sean's role in the Center for the Evangelization is if if uh, this were a defense and Hispanic marketing was the defensive line and Samuel you know Vasquez was the defensive line coach, we have a linebacker coach, we have a cornerbacks coach and a safety coach and they've each got their responsibilities but at the end of the day we all play defense i know it's a maybe a stretch as an analogy but bottom line is sean's the coordinator (laughs) we all work in ministry so it makes sense yes (laughs) look wait wait hold on a second during a meeting once you said what is it with you people in uh, ministry and and your analogies and you just did one (laughs) (laughs) he's arrived mike has arrived out loud you going you and your analogy i've become enculturated yes No, and, and I really want to, and, and I don't know if I've ever I've told this to you on mic, but I'm going to tell you on, on, a, on a podcast where we have dozens of listeners. Um, way back, so like way, way back when we were first trying to talk about like, what do we do here? Like what, we're all kind of beating with like one heart and we're all desperate to like be in community. And we know that, that like great evangelization comes, you know, out of like community. And I remember talking with Father I don't remember who it was. Actually, I do know now, but he, I don't want to say his name, but I, I want to respect that. But like he said, I don't know why, but while you're I'm talking about this, I think Mike Schaefer like, should be involved. Wow. Like, he's like, like, just like through prayer, he's like, I just feel like God's saying Mike. So that's why we tried to get you to that very first meeting mm-hmm. where we were all in the basement with um, Hyperquake or something like, yeah. like that. Of yeah. over at, you know. So I think I, I, when I heard that like you got that job, I was like, one, I would love to work there. And then two, I, uh, I mean, not now, obviously, but, uh, but then, uh, <laughs> certainly not now. Yeah. Certainly not. Uh, I mean, with the things that I've said, could you even hire me? Um, <laughs> no. And I just, I don't know. I, I just think like, I, I'm just, I was very happy that uh, uh, you guys were there. So thanks. And I, I'd be curious to like hear, hear from um, you, Gomer. What have you heard about um, Beacons of Light? Yeah, the the funny thing was um, a buddy of mine sent me the Rod Dreher article where Luke told him to dance off something like that <laughs> Eric got mad at me and I was like fine let me put another one up there where I said yeah Ooh. and I'm a I'm a I'm a Rod Dreher fan I, I wouldn't go that far as fan but I, yeah, I've read a lot of his stuff I have his is you know live not by lies and the Benedict option and stuff and so I had actually been sent that article by a buddy of mine at work and he said hey you know your buddy Luke in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati like they're doing this huge structure they're consolidating massively you know just just like they did in Pittsburgh. I had a couple encounters with the Archdiocese of Boston when they were beginning to 
roll out their consolidation plan and how they were going to do they were going to do it and it was interesting because you keep hearing of parishes closing down that's it like there's no idea there's no vision there's no anything it's just parishes are closing down it sucks your grandmother is buried here you you have a million dollar endowment for the cemetery and nothing for the church no one's going to mass like we can't sustain this bye and that was it it was first in the diocese of boston where i met the guy who was the director of evangelization for the diocese and he said you know one of the things that we're trying to do is while we won't have priests active at parishes the diocese of boston is still gonna own them and use them because one day because of our evangelization efforts we're gonna need them again in the future and i was like oh that's interesting very optimistic look but then you start hearing about these things where all of a sudden all of these areas are getting rezoned reconfigured reimagined into these collaboratives of multi-parishes and they give them new names and they have new everything it's almost like a, like a mega church where it's like here's our main church here's our satellite campuses but we're all hope of christ's uh, eternal mission or something like that but the idea is you don't hire you consolidate the money you consolidate the stuff so that you can start hiring people who can engage in actual evangelization, discipleship, and uh, and spreading the witness. So then, um, obviously, it was through that Rod Dreher article that Luke loved so much, where they use the beacons of light or hope. I, I'm now I've confused myself. Beacons of light. Light. Beacons yeah. of light. Yeah. If everyone's radiating Christ, then the parish is a beacon of light. Nice. Take that. It's funny because I have witnessed... You know, I, I have been a product of failed five-year plans that are very Stalin-esque that the church constantly loves to do in order to feel like she's doing something. And so when I came across that article, I mean, obviously the article had nothing to do about the whole Beacons of Light thing. It was just this like, yeah, way to put a positive spin on the bad news kind of thing. And then it moved on. And of course he quoted this Eric guy who I can't stand. I shouldn't say I can't stand. That's overstating it. But I know Luke can't stand him. But he wrote like, uh, you know, what's wrong with the old evangelization? <laughs> We've gone to fights before. Right. And I just, this guy's like, ha ha, take that new evangelization. I'm like, sweet Moses, can we just talk about what the heck the new evangelization is and why it's needed and why it's new? It's not new in like we're proclaiming a, a, a different gospel. It's the same gospel. Yeah, but, but holy if you crap. Can't say the, that, why, you know. Yeah, yeah the whole situation is different. The world is different. So it needs a new evangelization, not an old one. Not just the mission agentes, but the mission post-Christian. That's a new thing. That's a weird thing. And that's that's my wheelhouse, is I talk to people who think they know the story of Christ, who think they know what redemption is, who think they know what the Eucharist is and what the church is really all about. And it's like, no, you literally have no idea. And your caricature drove you from the church. So let me tell you the truth. And the funny thing is, when you tell them the truth about what the church is, is the bride of Christ, right? Ransomed, purchased back with the blood of her husband. Like, it's a game changer. And so I'm excited. Here's all I know. I know this. I think the people of the Catholic Church in America, but the people of the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, that have a very robust cultural Catholicism history. I mean, you have a very awesome, Lucas told me all this stuff. Oh, Cincinnati is so pop. It's so Catholic. Oh, my Greatest God. city in the world. Greatest city in the world. I love it. Festivals, fish fries. And, and uh, a, a lack of faith. The idea is like, here's the urgency. Like, the urgency is here. We got, like, eight priests, uh, you know, we got, like, three priests a year getting ordained. We need 12 a year to just replace what we've got. Look at what's happening. Like, that's what it's like in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. And there's, but in the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, there's no urgency. Like, people don't feel the urgency of the new evangelization. They don't feel the urgency of heaven and hell and losing everything. 
And they think it's about the buildings and the property. So my hope is that your movement towards restructuring, and we'll get into exactly what y'all are doing, but that it wakes the average layperson up to be like, wait, what, what, what the hell is this beacons a lot thing? That's imitation. That's exactly how they talk in our city. Yeah, yeah. especially on the west I side. Reckon, yeah, on the west. Concern it. I reckon this beacons a lot is crazy. No, uh, <laughs> but like the my hope is that the, it shocks them into waking up, right? So that's all I got. Yeah, I think um, you you hit on so many things there. Um, this is Mike, uh, Luke. I don't know how you do this. If you call on people, we just jump in. But yeah, it's fine. Yeah, you hit on so many things that are so important because. Um, you know, I apologize to Sean who's heard me say this a dozen times, but it was a big eye opener to me, especially uh, about a month ago when I read From Christendom to Apostolic Mission by Monsignor James Shea, which is a short book. It's about 90 pages. I highly recommend it. And um, it occurred to me, you know, that people could look at this and exactly what you said, you know, they could, they could view this as we're managing a diminishment of resources. And that is not what we're doing. You could argue that's what we're doing today because by accepting a 2% decline in mass attendance per year for 20 straight years or by accepting a 1.5% decline in um, Catholic school enrollment per year for 20 straight years, we are, we are effectively managing decline now. And I, I always like the phrase, you're perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. So if you like the results you're getting, you don't need to do anything. And we don't like the results we're getting. So um, it's not just that we don't have enough priests. We don't have enough laity. Uh, our average Sunday mass is a little more than one-third full. So we have churches that were built for, you know, uh, 1,000, or maybe they were built for 800, and their average Sunday mass is 275. Um, it's clear that um, the assets that we have, the resources that we have, that used to be sort of the cornerstone of ministering to these waves of Irish and German and Polish and Italian immigrants— have now, has now become a bit of an anchor around our ability to evangelize because we're spending so much time and money and energy just maintaining the status quo of campuses and schedules and roofs and HVACs that we've almost forgotten that, no, 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 our resources need to be oriented towards the Great Commission. Are they or are they oriented towards something else? In that book, I don't have it in front of me. I actually left it at the office. I meant to bring it. But there's a page that says... You can imagine the apostles getting together for their first evangelization committee meeting. What are our resources? Bishops, 11. Priests, same number. Church buildings, zero. Schools, zero. Teachers, zero. Seminaries, zero. Seminarians, zero. Trained theologians, zero. Influential people in high places, very few. Money, very little. Countries in which Christianity exists, one. Public attitude towards Christianity, neutral to hostile or ignorant to hostile. Okay, we're loaded with resources, right? I mean, think about the, we're loaded with resources. Our problem isn't that we don't have enough resources. Our problem is that they're pointed in the wrong direction. And so this is really, at the end of the day, an effort to get our resources pointed back in the proper direction. Anything you want to add to that, Sean? Or? Boom. Was that a mic drop? Or did you that, guys was a mic drop. Yeah, that was yeah. a mic drop. That was a mic drop.
Our sponsor today is our friends over at faithinvestors.com. Visit faithinvestors.com slash foxes to download a free guide on finances and the Christian life. In today's world, it is more important than ever that we actively live out our faith in every aspect of our lives. In Centesimus Anus, St. Pope John Paul the Great tells us, even the decision to invest in one place rather than another, in one productive sector rather than another, is always a moral and cultural choice. When investing for retirement and savings, this can be daunting. When we don't have the time to spend pouring through prospectuses, that's a hard word, and financial jargon to understand every investment we are making. Most Catholics are unaware that while they are out fighting for an end to abortion, mutual funds that they just bought are investing in those very companies that create abortifacient drugs and support Planned Parenthood. Faithinvestors.com is an initiative of core capital management and research that helps the faithful manage the four main tenets of a well-ordered Catholic financial life. One, aligning your investments in retirement with your Christian values. Two, giving good charity that support Christian values. Three, safeguarding your family's future. And four, securing the future of the local church. Your financial actions can reflect your moral and Catholic life so that, as the Pontifical Council for Justice and Peace says, even the economy and progress can be transformed into places of salvation and sanctification. Core Capital, who brings us faithinvestors.com, is a SEC registered Houston based investment advisor that works with individuals, businesses, churches, and charities around the country. Core Capital has been ranked as one of the top wealth advisors with no minimums by the Houston Business Journal from 2015 to 2021. That's right, no minimums. They believe that everyone deserves professional financial advising. John Barry, a senior partner at Core Capital and faithful listener to the show and personal friend of mine, launched faithinvestors.com to help fellow Catholics take control of their financial lives. Call them today about faith investing at 281. 281- Six seven four seven three nine four, or visit them at faithinvestors.com slash foxes to learn more about how to invest according to your faith, how to safeguard your family's future, choose the right charities that support your beliefs and carry out the work of the church, and to ensure your parish's financial future is secure. That's faithinvestors.com slash foxes. Thanks to our good friends over at Faith Investors for sponsoring this show. Yeah, so yeah, I have I have like Luke Poundy in my head. Of like, <laughs> it'll never work. <laughs> um, but uh, Gomer, I think you just you hit on uh, like like very initially. You talk. I've been part of five year planning processes, and I have too. I've been part of planning processes where you've like you spend it like an entire year, like just sitting in committees and planning out plans that like no everyone knows no one's going to do, and then you just put them on a shelf. And, uh, and, uh, that's what it just kind of sits there and nothing happens. And so I can, I have like, kind of like echoing it back in my, my mind. And so I think, um, one of the things that, um, the center for the new evangelization is trying to kind of bring to this process is at least a, I don't know, an awareness or, um, an urging for this to be a, a process of like true prayer and discernment. And um, of like actual communities of disciples coming together and praying. And um, you can't like force that. You can't put that in a pastoral plan and say like, you have to come together and pray and discern the Holy Spirit. <laughs> like you have to come together and become a community together. You can't force it. There has to be freedom in that. Um, and so I think that honestly, I think this lives and dies by the parishes that actually take this pastoral planning process as a tool and use it as a reason to do the real work of evangelization and come together and and pray and discern, um, form healthy teams, and uh, become a true community of disciples together. And I think it's going to happen in, in some places, in some places it won't. But in the end, this is going to be um, 
I think it's something. It's like a it's like a spark that's going to make everybody have to do something. Because um, right now we're not doing anything, and we're we're kind of at a crisis point, at least in our local church, where if we let it go for five more years, the church as we know it in Cincinnati. It won't be here. We won't have the resources, the staff, or the priests to, to keep it going the way we have it. Right. And so it is. It's like a crisis moment to like force the issue, or at least like, um, like start the conversations amongst amongst um, parish families, and and create that opportunity for this to happen. Yeah. And Gomer, you said you hope there's a wake up call. I mean, I think there there's already been a little bit of wake up call because when people look at these parishes coming together as families, it's it is kind of a shocker. And they can have one, they have one of two reactions, and we're hearing both, although it's so far what I'm really happy about is it's three to one on the positive. The negative is, what are you people doing to us, um, even though we haven't done anything yet except suggest that we're coming together in these families, and then within the family, they'll determine what's right. But the other one is, um, oh, we have to do this. We can't take our faith for granted. And I hope that's what people understand is that you, you don't just like – pay your little amount of money, you show up and everything, just the lights are on, father's there, it magically seems to happen and then you go have breakfast, you know. I mean, it, you, have, you cannot take it for granted. Your faith is a lived reality. It's not a church. It's not a building. Can I, can I ask you guys a couple of clarifying questions real quick? Uh, so what are, the, Mike, uh, since you're the one that said it, what are the families? What are these new families that you're, you're calling? And what is specifically these, this model of Beacons for Light? How is it different than business as usual in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati? Yeah, and it's different, than, um, it's different even than Pittsburgh uh, and, and some of the other dioceses, which is good, because I understand that didn't go all that well. Um, but, uh, well, it's Pittsburgh. Basic, what do you expect? Yeah. Well, you know, they can't have everything, but um, uh, they can't have a football team and a vibrant church. They have to pick they one or the other. So that's a winning tradition. And they all chose the football team. <laughs> Owners with standards and direction and plans and scouts. <laughs> so um, is this one of those analogies, Luke? <laughs> yeah. We Sorry. we have today we have two hundred eight parishes. Um, under the leadership of 109 pastors. So there are already some regions or whatever we call them uh, form, but the, those, those are not families. Those are basically parishes that continue to operate independently, and the thing they have in common is a common pastor. But they're not, they're not in any way coming together. So by comparison, this... And, and by the way, we have uh, some of those um, 109 pastors are over 70, and a handful are over 75, because God bless them, they've continued to serve past retirement age. You know, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but you're much younger than me, but I, I don't have the energy I had 30 years ago. And I'm sure a 75-year-old pastor doesn't have the energy he had 30 years ago. How many um, pastors have you uh, imported from other countries that where Catholicism is booming? I don't know that we have. Um, I mean, we have, a couple of, we have a couple of religious communities, and we do have some African priests, um, but we don't have... I don't think any of them are pastors, Sean. Am I, am I mistaken in that? Not yet. Not yeah, yet. So, right. Yeah. So, oh, but basically, um, so if you look at the math, you know, we're going to go from 109 pastors to 60. Now, the, the timing of this is we have a draft of the plan out. We're getting tons of comments. There will be changes to the plan based on comments from the, the laity, from the priests, from the, from the principals. And then the final set of 60 families will be announced by the end of this year. In the spring, but nothing will change overnight. Nothing will change overnight. In the spring, the, the 
priest assignments will be announced, and obviously some of our priests are naturally on pins and needles because 49 guys who are currently pastors will not be. Now, some of them may be relieved because finally I can retire, um, but other guys who it's going to be a disappointment to them because perhaps they want to continue as pastor and they will not. Um, but what this will, will enable us to do, quite frankly, is maybe let some of our newly ordained guys marinate and get experience for five years, not quite the 15 to 20 you used to get, but maybe get five years experience before being made a pastor rather than one and a half or two. And, um, and then in July of 2022, the new families will take effect. And then what happens is, what we hope happens under the guidance of a, uh, some principles that Sean can describe, evangelization is one of them. We want Father to lead his new family in a way to get together and say, okay, are we really optimally organized for the mission of the church? And we fundamentally believe, I know Archbishop Schnur fundamentally believes, that has to be a local decision because a rural parish family up north is different than an urban parish family in Dayton is different than a suburban Cincinnati family. The circumstances are different. The money might be different. The level of commitment of the faithful might be different. I mean, there's all kinds of things that might be different. And so you might make different prudential judgments within one family than another, but they should all be driving towards missionary discipleship. How do you, and if, if you have a follow-up, um, um, hey, Gomer, if, if you have, if you, if, if, well, actually, first, let me just ask this. Are there any, I'm clarifying things that like you wanted to ask before I, because I have some, thoughts i wanted to share but gormley sorry i was just finishing typing up that um luke you're really low are you you're really low are you does it look like now? it's yes that's much better that's better okay you didn't so mean some reason my... low you meant his voice was low <laughs> i mean i mean let's let's all assume that we're in a rough couple of years of yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> it took me out of cincinnati and i'm dying inside <laughs> Come on back. Come on back. Oh, no, not the Archdiocese. I just mean like the city itself. I know. I know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you can't um, afford me. There, there's elements within uh, the church renewals and restructuring that we all like hope and pray can, can radically seize the hearts. But you and I both know as laymen, right, that uh, the law of the lid functions very real in parishes. The law of the lid was a phrase coined by uh, John Maxwell, the guy who – a leadership guru, speaker guy, and he just says basically, if your if your leader sucks, your organization's going to suck. It doesn't matter how many all stars you have on your team; it's going to suck. There's only so much you can do. There's the law of the lid. When the lid is clamped closed and the bar is set low, you're going to keep generating that. So my caution, my cautionary tale on all of this: one, it'll be great that you're going to let the old guard retire. Because we all know that so many priests have given so much and that they're, they're, they're exhausted and now they're driving out to two parishes or doing whatever. So it will be, I, I think it'll be a, a tremendous relief within your diocese. And maybe it'll bring about a new springtime for the, uh, those in their winter years of being like, yeah, now I can retire. But I can, I, taking the burden of being a pastor off my shoulders, I'm happy to come be a you know, uh, uh, a visiting priest that helps out at the local high school or middle school or whatever. So it's right. funny. We got a lot of guys can... who do that too. That'll definitely be the yeah. case. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, I think there, there can be looking very positively. I think it can be a new generation. Now here's where skeptical Gomer comes in. This is Luke has trained me to be very skeptical 
of 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 all initiatives that have to do with clergy because he hates the clergy. He's anti-clerical. <laughs> Luke is the living embodiment of the French Revolution. He tried to kill a couple nuns with a guillotine one time. It was very terrifying. Uh, he wears a shirt that says "God is not an American," and I'll chop your head off. <laughs> I wore a shirt in 2001 before 9/11 when I was. At, Sean was there when I bought the shirt. You remember that? You were there. We were at Cornerstone. Do you remember there was that booth and then that? that this is when I was in like my. I think I got like five uh, bumper stickers from there. Things like uh, yeah, yeah I was anti-Christian stuff. Yeah. I was in my Christian like punk phase, and I and I was like, "God is not an American. Sign me up. I have a thing to say." And then after on nine eleven, I was like, "I did just introduce my daughters to uh, Project eighty six, and they are in love. <laughs> Cecilia yes. is in love. Anywho, thank you. Anywho, I, Sean knows yeah, what's up." Spy oh, yeah. Hunter is now her favorite. She's like, Dad, put on Spy <laughs> Hunter now. And I'm like, I love you Your so kids. much now. Um, <laughs> you love 2000 new new metal. <laughs> here's yeah, here's skeptical, skeptical Gomer. That's not really skeptical Gomer, but l- l- let me say it bluntly, and then you can give me feedback. It's going to fail if we don't teach our priests how to evangelize, how to, how to radically like preach the gospel without mm-hmm. fear, with boldness, with love. Um, with, to train our DREs to not just walk kids through the motions, but to really go for families, like transforming families. Like so many people, I do all the all the um, meetings for adults for parents at my church. So I'm, I'm with the new restructuring at my own church. We can't hire a bunch of people. We don't have the funds to hire people. So I'm going around and doing all of the parent meetings for everything. And my parent meeting is, hey, here's two minutes of what we're doing this year, and here's 43 minutes of this is who Jesus Christ is. This is how you have a relationship with how to be in communion with God. This is why the sacraments matter. Your prayer life matters. And without being judgy or condemning or off-putting, and it's just like, please come to the church. Let me teach you how to pray. Don't you want a spiritual life? Don't you want to know the living God? And then I do. It's because I see in the lay people a radical apathy. Right, the radical apathy, meaning it's deep down in the roots, they just don't care to this thing. And so, to awaken, awaken the sleepers, right? Is um, you're you're calling them to come out of this death. And when I see the clergy now, I am very heartened by a lot of our young priests who uh, some of them like are just super obsessed with liturgy, and that's it. But (laughs) many of them, many of them are falling in love with like JP two style evangelization. And, you know, one of my parochial vicars is a good friend of mine and he's a fanatic for beautiful liturgies, reverent liturgies, traditional liturgies, but brother evangelizes, or I should say father evangelizes. No one evangelizes more than father David Hust up on that, um, up in that, uh, Ambo when he's preaching the gospel, you know, he cares about souls. Is there like, I, I almost, and, and right now, okay. So just so I can put my money where my mouth is, I'm meeting with groups of these priests that he is putting together so that we can make sure that our love of the liturgy and the zeal for the sacraments and traditional prayer and all this stuff doesn't just get lost in it like it's weird myopic world of its own without evangelizing, discipling, like going out of our way to bleed for our congregation like a libation poured out, like St. Paul, you know? So how are we forming the lids? How are we forming the pastors to not, to not walk down that path of, you know, of, because it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be more of the same if they aren't invited and transformed in their own ministry. 
I gotta say, like Gummer, I'm like completely with you. Um, my hell yeah, f- my yeah, <laughs> my previous job was as director of the office for the new evangelization. So I was trying Woo! to do evangelization all by myself. And uh, yeah, <laughs> my whole approach was to go in and start like evangelizing ministries and parishes. That was my whole, the, the whole thing I did. And I couldn't work with a lot. So I just worked with a few parishes. And uh, after about two years of working with like some solid DREs and even getting some, some really great adult evangelization off the ground, um, I realized really, really quickly that lid idea that like if the priest wasn't on board, it didn't matter um, like how good kind of like that grassroots evangelization was, it would eventually plateau. Like you could get stuff going and it could like reach a certain point, but it wasn't going to get to the level that we wanted it to unless the pastor was on board. Like on, but on the flip side, when the pastor was on board, it almost didn't matter. Like it could overcome a lot of defaults in our evangelization efforts. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if you had a solid pastor that was willing to like, push forward on this vision for evangelization, you could, you could deal with some of like the imperfections of your, your kind of like programs because um, he was going to carry that through. And, uh, and so I learned that really quickly that it had to be the pastor. Now, the one thing about that beacons of light is that right now, currently our structure is like burning out our priests. Yeah, totally. We, I've seen some, I've seen some awesome young priests come out of the seminary on fire and like two years into their priesthood, they're done. They're done. I came across a priest. He was like, it's like smoking like two packs a day. He was like, young priest. Awesome. He was like, he was like, I'm doing this just to spite the archdiocese. Like, you're killing yourself, man. You're killing yourself. But My you're kid. doing this because he's like, he's like, I'm just like, I'm like, there's nothing I can do. Like you've given me like this, this like crazy, um, like situation to deal with. And there, there's nothing I can do. It's burning me out. I don't have, I'm isolated. I have no community. I, have, I feel like I have no support. And like the only thing I can do is just like harm, self-harm myself as like a spiteful like back to uh, – so like I think, I think at least like um, at least the Beacons of Light is recognizing that like we can't burn out our priests. We got we to gotta create a – like um, we got to restructure things in a way that, that allows them to, to like be pastors, at least gives them the opportunity to do it. You know, not that every one, every priest is going to do it, and not every priest is a good leader, but but like we're even the good ones are burning out at this point. Yeah, I would agree. I would I agree with everything both you guys have said. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, if the pastor isn't on board with this and just looks at this as a series of um, logistical moves and doesn't say no, at the end of the day, what this is all about is proclaiming the gospel. This is fundamentally what this is about, and and dispensing of inordinate attachments to I've been sitting in the seventh pew, the right seat for the last 23 years. And by God, I have to have that seat at the 11 o'clock mass. No, you don't. And, um, and I think that if we don't get back to what Jesus has called us to and what these guys were ordained for, um, that's, that's one thing. The other thing, um, that's a companion to this is we've also created a, uh, office for Catholic identity in our Catholic schools office because we need to equally, evangelize our school leaders. Um, although we're the 40, I don't know if you know this, Gomer, but although we're the, about the 44th largest diocese in the country now with the growth in the South and the Southeast, we're the fifth largest Catholic school network. So we have over 40,000 students. That's mission territory. And um, we all know the stats about students, you know, I mean, young people who've left the church. And it's, it's you know, we need to re-embrace the mission of the church in our schools as well. 
And that all starts at the top. You know, if the principal is not the spiritual leader of the school, I don't think any number of well-meaning, you know, um, teachers, they're only going to be so effective. Yeah. And and it becomes a rear guard action when the leader is not uh, an, an apostle. If the principal and the law of the lid, I just want to reiterate, this is not just a priesthood thing, but the, the church has an ecclesial ministry and those ministers have charisms inherent to their office that the action of leading from these charisms, the charism of governance and preaching and all that stuff, when they actually do it, it's an amplification by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, it, like I'm sure the gospel writers, like Luke probably wrote a bunch of stuff, but only Luke and Acts is God breathe is inspired right and w- when priests live from the place of the charism that's where there's this anointing amplification effect that cannot occur without it and like, like I was talking to my pastor we just got a new pastor on September 1st but I was telling him one day I said you know uh one of the things that everyone wants for their own ministry here at my church is they all want a pulpit announcement. They want the priest during the homily to plug their event and all this stuff. And I said, I've been thinking about that for a long time now because it's like, oh yeah, free advertising and blah, blah, blah. But really, I think it's because the priest who is the the pastor of the parish, when he speaks, he speaks with an authority that is supernaturally grounded as having the charism of the office. Like, it's his office that gives him this authority, this power, and this servant model. And so it's so cool that when he says, I want everyone to sign up who has a great marriage or has a good marriage to get go to this retreat and have a great marriage or whatever the line is, you know? And then all of a sudden, it's sold out. And I'm like, that's, that's what you do. So when we just have pastors that don't call people onto holiness, that don't call people to... Uh, engage with the Eucharist or with Scripture, or whatever, and it's just like, hey, here's a bumper sticker style cliche, you know, paraphrase of the gospel to just be a good little boy or girl. Like you're you're calling them to live a mediocre life. Then it's like, but the Holy Spirit is like, just give me one second, just give me like an inch, an inch, just give me a mustard seed. It's so tiny, and I can move mountains. I can move mountains here. So getting the priests and with the Catholic schools getting those principles and, and, and presidents, you know, like that's going to be, that's going to be such a dynamic thing. But like my, my, my again, my knee jerk reaction is like, are we going to start firing people who don't <laughs> like, listen, I know we want you to be missionary. So like maybe offer a retreat and that'll be good enough. It's like, no, I want zeal, zealous people. Like, how do we, how do we do that? I, I think one thing that people sometimes don't understand is that from an archdiocesan standpoint, how much you speak for so much and you have so much that you are responsible with such – I don't even like to use the word I'm a limited uh, resources, though it's true. But it's like there's only a finite amount of time. There's only like a finite amount of, uh, like amount of me. There's only like a finite – and to – what it really impresses me about this, and this is like not me just trying to be like, this is this is not me trying to be like, you guys are awesome. But I remember being in a meeting, and I think we could talk about this. It really shouldn't be a big deal. Where like me and Brad Burst, we're, we're just like, you people do not understand. You are an afterthought, like you know, and trying to like desperately say like, I don't think anyone here gets how bad it actually is, and to see it go from that in a room where like Sean, you were there. Mm-hmm. You remember uh, which meeting I am, I'm talking about? <laughs> there was tears. There was tears. <laughs> to see it going from that to this, I think is uh, is a bit of like like we're this is the first kind of proactive thing that we've done 
there's there has been like a lot of initiatives so i'm not trying to say that but this is the first acknowledgement of that the emergencies are everywhere is there something interfering with your happiness or is it preventing you from achieving your goals well i started going to therapy probably about maybe four months ago maybe three months ago and i just kind of realized that healing is something that the lord wants us to receive but healing is always an invitation from god quite often he asks people to, to you know take a step out we have to take action and a great way to do that is through a group called better help better help can assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours this is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. This service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime, and I'm going to send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and I'm a thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule a weekly video or phone obsession so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Those are weird, as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so that they make it easy and free to change counselors if you feel like you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is indeed available. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, wants you to start living a happier life today. You can go to BetterHelp.com slash reviews and read some of the testimonials that are posted daily. So this is what we're going to do. We have a special offer for podcast listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp.com slash foxes. You go to slash foxes and you will get 10% off your first month. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional counselor. BetterHelp.com slash foxes. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Yeah, it's had to happen. It's had to happen. I, I came across this model uh, a few, like maybe four years ago, and I don't share it with a lot of people because it's like very depressing. But it's like an organizational model of like uh, life cycles of organizations. And so there's this model of like, like the typical life cycle that like institutionals, institutions and organizations go yeah. through. Mm-hmm. And uh, and like um, like like you have like a typical like like birth and development phase of like creativity and a lot of ideas and a lot of freedom and then institutions grow into like expanding and maturing but like you have to create like bureaucracy and structures to to like control people and yeah. and then uh, and then you get like red tape on top of that because. Because you have to like control people, and because there's a lot of growth, and and uh, like our diocese, we just we just celebrated two two hundred years, you know, and uh, and like the end of the growth cycle is actually like decline and death, and uh, and like the only way you get out of decline and death is you got to do something drastic, like there's all, like there's like certain like every institution is going to go through this unless you do like something that really shakes things up. Like the trajectory is like you're gonna die, and like there's like these stages of decline that they talk about, and one of them is like the first stage is that you're blind to the situation, like Luke. This is like when we were in the like having conversations about about things that were going on. You can't recognize the problem that's going on. People were like, we're an afterthought. People don't know who you are. People don't understand the situation. You just don't know. I remember like being in the, like directing the office for the new evangelization. We had the statistics of what was happening in our diocese and I could project it out. I could just do the math and I could say 10 years ago, I could say, here's where we're going to be in 2020. And like, I went back and looked at those statistics and that's exactly where we're at. Like we knew we were going to have like not enough priests. 
We knew mm-hmm. that we were like mm-hmm. bleeding members. We knew we talked we just, about it. like it was always yeah, there. We, yeah. we were always yeah. talking about it, but like yeah. we were blinded to it. We couldn't do anything about it. And so like the second stage of decline is inaction. Even like when there's clear signs of decline, there's like there's nothing institutionally that happens to change that. And I think Luke, like you, you and I kind of lived through that. It's like we know this is happening, but there, but but no one is organizing themselves to do anything. And then you get to a point in, in decline where there's faulty action. If you're finally like, okay, there's something wrong, but like the stuff that you start doing is actually the wrong things. We went through like a whole phase of like trying to put people in regions, but making them decide for themselves. And via, but if you get all, yeah, if via, I'm exactly. Just I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm, I, I, I was there know. while it started. I, mean, like, I was yeah, there while like, it started. It's my fault. You're like you just try like you're shooting. You're like you're like what can we do? Because like yeah. the ship is like sinking. What do we do? Yeah. And like the final thing is like crisis mode. And like the only thing that can get you out of that crisis mode mode is like a radical change. Yeah. And if you don't do a radical change, you like get into this dissolution phase where there's no getting out of it. You know, yeah. like the church is like the church is going to go on. But like, I think we're kind of at that point. Like I could see it five, 10 years ago. We're like heading towards this crisis stage in our local church. And um, if we don't do something kind of radical to, to like shake things up and reorder things, then uh, I think we're just it's inevitable decline. We saw we see five years out. If we don't do things now, there's no coming back. Yeah, and I think I think you know one of the things that I, I would say that I'd add to that is uh, because it was so incremental but sustained. I, I was always amazed when I got here that we could look at those October counts and say, "Well, it's only down two percent." Yeah, for the last twenty years. Okay, this isn't a down two percent blip uh, where we're normally up two percent. This is this is down two percent on a sustained basis. But and it, it was, was like more, increase every year, like so, like the yeah. rate of decrease would actually increase. It was like a ball rolling down the hill and gaining momentum. Right, but it was yeah. never like, we never hit the edge of the precipice and we're like, kaboom. So, you know, so there's that. And the other thing is, um, I, I, you know, if you're talking about business books, and I, I know it's sort of, I'm hesitant to do it because A, priests don't really like it when you talk about business books, and B, um, you know, we do have the Holy Spirit, which most secular organizations don't have. You know, in that book, Good to Great, it's so much easier to go from, um, disaster to great because you now are motivated to throw caution to the wind and do something radical and dramatic. Whereas if you're doing okay, there's no motivation to do anything radical because you could go from okay to awful. But if you're already just about at awful, you, you, you know, you can be bold and brave and courageous. And, and you know, a lot of the times that's where great companies come from is the bold move at the edge of disaster. And um, I'm not saying that that's where we're at, but maybe that's where we're at. You never know. I mean, and um, I, I think the question is, how bold will we be? Like, I think this move is step one, but the real boldness is going to be within each family. How committed are we to to not just fighting and fighting to just maintain every little physical asset, but to actually going after souls? Yeah, it is so easy to take our mind off the real thing. Right. And I, I tell this when I did my parent talk, I said, why are we here in youth ministry or children's faith formation? We're here to make strong, holy Catholic adults. We're here for lifelong discipleship. If you're here for your kid to have a pleasant year, I can emotionally manipulate the hell out of them. So I can play the, the sappy music and I can make them have cathartic experiences and all this stuff. 
so that they're up and down like every high school teenager already is. And at the end of the retreat or at the end of the year, they're like, oh, that was awesome. But no, there was no life change. There was no meditation. There was no spiritual growth. There was no there there. It's just vapid sentimentalism, vague sentimentalism, right? I can do that. I, I can do that and get job security until the church no longer has children to send through our programs. I said, but if our goal is lifelong discipleship, if our goal is raising good adults, then I need to be free of your demand of a consumer saying, well, my kid isn't having all the fun in the world. It's like, no, I'm actually asking them to memorize the books of the Bible. I'm actually teaching them how to be silent, and they don't want to be silent because their whole life isn't silent, and I need them to learn how to cultivate to hear the voice of God. So, yeah, the jumpy, clappy shit and stuff the jumpy clappy stuff has to come to an end like i I did this um thing with the priests of five different dioceses we you know provincial thing and i kept saying to them i was like it doesn't matter that you don't have cool av like are you teaching your kids how to pray how to encounter the living god like good lord do you not see that they're all walking out the door. You can tell, like, I get really moody about this stuff. Like, they're all walking out the door. Like, I think that line is so great, Luke. Luke, God bless you. That, that, that You're an afterthought. Yeah, you're an afterthought. Like, we were an afterthought since 1968 or 75 or whatever date. And it's like, we're just now realizing, like, oh, crap. Like, it's gotten so bad that we can't even fund grandma's parish. Like, it's so bad, we can't even fund the 200, or the, uh, yeah, 200 person corner chapel. Like, it's all bankrupt. And now it's like, well, shit, there's no money. Quickly, someone evangelize something, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. in my heart, like, here here in my diocese, I'm talking about my diocese. Here in my diocese, I'm, I'm looking around, and I'm like, why are people okay with this situation? Why, like, like I'm losing my mind. Yeah. Trying to look at these parents from a different perspective. And so this is the two things I want to point out. And then, Luke, I think I interrupted you in the beginning. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. About, uh, a half hour, about a half hour ago, Luke. Yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was awesome. It was strategic. But the two things I want to point out is, uh, like, we all use the cliche for maintenance to mission. Sean especially. Oh, come on. <laughs> if, I, if, if you walked up to a, a pastor of the largest church in your diocese, and I don't know anything about your diocese, so if you walked up to the pastor of the largest church in your diocese, or you walked up to Archbishop Schnur and said, Archbishop, pack your bags, you're going to Zambia, Africa, right? Or pastor so-and-so, you're, you're going to, yeah, I, I can't even think, you're going to, 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 to Myanmar, you're going to Burma the country formerly known as Burma, like you're, you're going and we're sending you out in mission. That is the most sane equivalent to what we're doing today. And it's like, okay, now what do I have to do to get you from point A, you know, uh, suburban pastor or whatever, to be like, oh, I'm in, I'm in mission territory. Like uh, part of my job when I was in youth ministry was to get parents to realize they're cross-cultural missionaries. Like, your kids don't speak your language, and you don't speak their language. I got to actually train you on how to talk to your kids because you're going past each other. It's like, okay, we need to do that for our priests. The second thing is, I didn't know this. I'm reading this book called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions by Thomas Kuhn. It's a very important book in the history of science. came out in the 70s. It's pretty epic. The word paradigm shift, he coined, and then business books took it in a different direction. But when you were talking about, like, good to great in the paradigm, the paradigm is, oh, crap, we're in crisis. And crisis gives you the energy to solve problems or at least be like, 
oh my goodness, it's really this bad, then I'm willing to hang a question mark on everything. But Thomas Kuhn in his book, uh, the chapter literally that I just read this morning, he was going through and saying that there was a psychological experiment where they turned a couple clubs and spades red in a deck of cards. And they passed them out, and they had the people, like, go through the cards and, you know, remember? It was like, is this your card? You know, kind of stuff. Because people were so habituated to clubs and spades are black and hearts and diamonds are red, they literally, physically, there was a, a like, 35 or something like that percent of the people were reduced to screaming at the, at the facilitators, of the scientists facilitating the experiment, because they were like, the freaking card is black. They, I, think they I've, I, think I've, I think I've experienced this. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in the middle of that. Yeah. <laughs> but see, that's the funny thing. It's like they're, they're, with their physical eyes, they are physically seeing red. Some people said, oh, that's funny. There's a red border. It's like, there's not a, it's red. It's a red spade. Like, we changed the color. How can you not see that? And they couldn't. And there was a sizable group. And so the Thomas Kuhn talked about uh, in scientific things when there's a paradigm shift, you know, like Copernican to, you know, whatever, uh, Newtonian from Newtonian to Einsteinian. Like, you just have to wait for people to die before you mm. can actually shift the paradigm culturally because they still see black where there's red. And they can't, like, their eyes are, like, the they said that the Native Americans when Columbus landed, like, couldn't take in the ships like they did they literally couldn't see it and some of them were like oh my gosh look at that weird thing out there and the like the elders were like what thing like they their brain couldn't conceptualize so it's funny it's like hey you know how for the past 30 years you've been sitting here and getting your five dollar checks for the masses being said well now no one's gonna pay you crap to do any sacraments because adults don't want to get married to the church no one's baptizing babies they're aborting half of them now let's go out and preach the gospel on the streets it's like oh you know, like yeah. it's that same thing being like <laughs> off to Zambia with you. So this is going to sound like I'm being very I'm a flippant, and I'm not. I just don't know how else to ask this. <laughs> how do you know this is from God and not you? Or like, how do you know that this is coming from like a place that it's not just us trying to solve? And I, I don't, I don't mean this. And like, I hope you guys unbelieve mm-hmm. me. I don't mean this to, to to be like, how is this not just like the Sean Andrews show? Yeah. Like, how do you know that like this is like God? That God is like, yes, this is what we need. This is where the Holy Spirit is leading you. I think there are some people that would probably argue that this isn't from God, that this is another harebrained idea cooked up at the archdiocese to do to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see another... One, one thing I'll say, and this won't be sufficient, Luke, but I don't see another motivation in it. In other words, there's not a money motivation in it. There is a motivation of... Uh, the priests are going um, crazy with, with you know, as Sean mentioned, with the way the structure is today. We're burning guys out. That's all true. But the truth is, it's not just about the priests. It's about also the disengaged or completely left laity. And is this is this what we want? Is this really the proclamation of the gospel? Or is this, I don't know, the maintenance of a, of a now defunct kingdom? So, I, I and I think there's been a lot of prayer in it a lot of discernment. Um, I don't know how to better answer it. I mean, I think, I think if you said that there's, I don't see I don't see an earthly motivation in it as much as I see a desire to return to the origin of the, of what the church should be. Yeah. Let me put it this way. I, I had this moment 
we celebrated our like one year um, anniversary of the launching of the CNE last week. Thanks for inviting me on the feast of Saint Therese. Yeah, Saint Therese of Lisieux. Yeah, it's only my idea. <laughs> yeah, good job. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> what is um, what is the CNE for those who don't know? Center for the New Evangelization. Mm. The Center for the New Evangelization. So we launched it a year ago. It was a com- combination of all the evangelization offices in the archdiocese. So we launched it a year ago. And uh, as I was praying about what the Lord has done in the last year, um, I, I, like, I had this, this kind of thought that um, there's no way we could serve parishes through this process if we weren't organized the way we were. Like we were, like we were in silos, you know, so we couldn't, we couldn't do the job that we had to do now if we were separate. You That's know? really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so it, for me, it was like, okay, I don't know if beacons of light was necessary from the Holy Spirit, but I do believe that the, the Lord know, knew it was coming. And I do believe at least for our offices, he called us together uh, for this purpose. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, I really do believe it. I really do believe, like, we have a very healthy team that is praying together, that is discerning, that is, like, passionate about helping parishes and uh, and is growing in in our relationship with the Lord together and is passionate. And, like, we weren't there two or three years ago. You know, and so yeah, would we would have a lot of catching up to do. So I don't, that doesn't answer your question, but I do see the Lord's hand in like, in like bringing us together to serve what, uh, where we're at right now. And I, I think, and I'm going to provide my own answer if you guys don't mind just yeah. having, you know, I feel like I know you guys and have been, have been involved in the past, obviously. What gives me hope, and I think what really bothers me about some of the criticism that I've read is one, I'm just very, I'm a territorial, but then two is, like I, I know, like I, like I know you both, and I know that this is coming from an overflow of like your love for God and His church. Like you guys have been through some stuff. Like, and I every time that you have to go, like, enter, like, like, like you're the face of the church on like when like stuff is not good that we have to when horrible, horrible things happen. You're the one who has to tell the whole city. So here's what's happening. Like, like. You know, and like you're the hey, one who has to be the face of that, and like what? you're the one who has to take the questions. Yeah, like you're the one who has to deal with the media being like, "Why are you people horrible?" And it's like, I don't know, you know. But like, um, like, and like you've been through like so much. Like Sean, Jennifer, who who works for me, being called uh, a horrible mother by people. So much. She must. She no. She was oh, online. There was a whole bunch of women who said she must be a horrible mother for her to stand up for the archdiocese. Oh, I would have lost my mind if she's like the nicest person. I like she's the one person there that I never wanted to offend because she's just so nice and like <laughs> That's so true. I was like everyone else here is like a miserable. What's wrong with you? <laughs> like you're you're. Hey, do you guys remember nice. when your archdiocese killed Harambe? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we actually went there and like shot him ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> it came out of the new evangelization. I didn't budget. even know that was the exactly. Cincinnati Zoo one day, and I brought it up. And Luke's like, "Too soon, too soon." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "That's our, that's our, that's our like, oh. If you want to know if they're really from um Cincinnati, if if they're like a millennial, when they're drinking, either ask them about that or Fiona and see what their reaction is. Usually, it's a bit much. So, um, but like, it, it really is like 
coming from like I, I don't I truly don't think you guys would choose to do this if you were like, hey, this is gonna be fun. Let's have everyone when else <laughs> hate us. You know, like and it's, it's not that like everyone um hate you guys, but like obviously there's Look a this. like this is bold. This is this is you're you're hundred percent right. Like this yeah, is I mean, a bold and, move. And, and the thing too though, Luke, is it's not just Sean and I, obviously. So you have to oh, have yeah, faith in yeah, other yeah, people yeah. too. You know, there's others yeah. on the core team and there's other and of course there's our the Archbishop, but yeah, you know, I've used this analogy. It's another analogy, Gilmer, but I don't know if it's a good one at all. But nobody <laughs> really wants nobody really wants to go through this. I mean, this is going to be mm-hmm. painful. It's going to be yeah. emotional. People are going to be angry. People are going to be sad. Um, but I've used the open heart surgery analogy, which is if your life is slowly winding down, and it's because of your cardiovascular health, and the doctor tells you this is your path. There's only one way out. You have a possibility of a brighter life, a renewed vibrancy, but you got to go through open heart surgery and two years of PT, and it might even not work, but it really Mm -hmm. is your only chance of vibrancy on the other end. Then you bring yourself to go through open heart surgery because you want that vibrancy on the other end. You want a renewed, you want what you remember or think you remember as a vibrant life. And, and so, you know, like the next couple of years is our open heart surgery. And it's going to be brutal, and chunks will fall away. <laughs> and, and one thing too that I think, you know, and it, like I, I, I really do trust the Archbishop, you know. And I, I, I learned pretty quickly that like, as he goes, just like how like a priest in terms of like your own ministry can be awesome if the priest is on board, and if you're not, it's it's you're like you're sunk, you know. And it like just mm-hmm. like and like God, what, what the Holy Spirit does, it's it's very weird how like. I always go back to like the, the like the keys part and how like so much is like put on us and what God say. I will do great things if you. I will follow like I, the God respects our human freedom, and I have found that the that the more in line I was with the archbishops, with with you know his priorities, with what he wanted, the more I saw God move. And if you wanted to know what the Holy was Holy Spirit. Like what he was doing, because like like I, I remember meeting like Brad Bursa agonizing o- o- over this at like the Starbucks in um in Rookwood or at or at um Coffee Please, like just being like what is God? And I remember at one point times being like the Holy like the first place we need to look besides the teachings of you know like the church and within the fruit of our like own lives is what are what does the Archbishop want? Because this is we're, we're everything that we're doing comes from like. Not from him, but like you guys know what I mean. Like, yeah, like yeah. no, there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a charism there. Yeah, that yeah, even that's like, that's, that's, that's like, like there's freedom, like there's a freedom there. Even like, so like you said, like even if like you don't necessarily agree with like decisions that are made, like there is a, there's a lot of power in just like obedience to like the vicar of Christ there, you know, or the, 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 um, the like local apostle, you know, that's over our church. There's a lot of power in just like aligning yourself to that. To that, I, I was thinking um, J.D. Flynn and he had an awesome article I think on the Beacons of Light mm-hmm. process. Probably a little too rosy, maybe, but like, <laughs> but he said like he's like he's like this Not could be it. the Cincinnati option, you know? <laughs> I'm like he's kind of like the whole he's like kind of like the whole country is looking at, uh, at how we do things, and this could be like the Cincinnati option that if this goes well, other um, dioceses in the country could mm-hmm. follow this model. Um, because there's so much respect for Archbishop Schnur in his kind of like administrative yeah. abilities, and uh, and so for me that put a, a new kind of like a seriousness on what we were doing. That this yeah. could be a, if we do this well, this could be a, a model for the rest of the country. But also we have to be careful about that too, right? That we don't like I, I will sometimes jokingly say it like, oh, we're the 
we could be the innovators, but we can't allow our own pride to seep into this process. Like this is not about 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 that as much as it is about reigniting yeah. the faith. Yeah. And but I mean, I agree with you. I mean, it was it was a pretty positive um, article, and I will say that for the most part, the media has been um, surprisingly positive. I like, think, I, think it, it, I think it could have been awful, but it but it's really not been awful. I was surprised by just the amount of coverage it got, which is why I wanted to like have you guys on because I was just like, I want to capitalize on this ho- opportunity, but then too, and then be late. Uh, the uh, <laughs> classic Luke. Milk, 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 milk. Yeah. Uh, listen, I was. Beacons of um, light have nipples. Can you milk me? <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, but you're right. I mean, even the national media, it's not just been local media. It's been yeah, national. yeah. I was At really least national yeah. Catholic media, anyhow. Yeah, yeah. No, but and it's really like I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that, and I. One thing that I learned while I was there was that, like, real ministry involves being willing to, like, not just, like, carry your cross, but, like, just, like, to be crucified, you know, sometimes daily. Um, and uh, this, I just, I, like, we had this conversation, I think we were at a bar, I'm with Sean, like, a couple of months ago when uh, we met up. He was my fourth choice. I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, <laughs> I'll take it was it. awesome. I'll take uh, it. We, um, cause I got, actually I, I got uh, ditched by like, um, Dominic cause he had something that like, cause we were going to meet, um, we had a man while he went and then he could, uh, make no it. I was like, who, who could hang out with Brad? No, Sean. Sure. Um, was, um, <laughs> I thought you were too far. Okay. So anyways, my, my point though is like you, you, you had, uh, you had talked about how like, I know we're going to, I'm like, I have to suffer. Like, 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 you know that like and i think like everyone who who's involved understands the like this is not the archdiocese like if you just follow point 2a you'll see here you know on that i'm sure it'll have that component because there are like human beings involved and it would probably drive me insane but i bring it up because i i think i really do think like like when, when i see who's involved like they understand what this is going to entail yeah and i'm sure there'll be things yeah mike are, yeah. sorry you go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I said. Yeah, Mike already said this. Like, this is not going to be an easy process. It's like there's going to be a lot of suffering mm-hmm. involved. Like, there's no, there's, there's no kind of like consolidation process that's going to be like the. Per- you just can't do it in a way that's that everybody's going to like it. You, you almost couldn't do it in a perfect way. You know, you like then step back and say like we did this perfectly. It's just going to be a hard process. And as I was praying about it and like how I'm going to lead my team through it. Like I almost felt like a, a general that was like leading his army into a like a suicide mission. <laughs> but like, you've got sweet abs, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, maybe <laughs> at one point, but not now. But um, like three hundred, you know, like we're going in. Yeah. But um, yeah. But, this um, is Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember, um, like early early conversations of um of leadership team. Of folks like you and Brad who aren't um, on the team anymore saying, like, we got to avoid this. Like, we got to avoid this like the plague because we're going to lose our reputation. We're going to lose our ability to minister to people because this is going to be a hard process. And uh, in my prayer, I came to a place like I can't I got to I got to be all in on this. Like this is if I'm here, like this is why I'm here. This is why the Lord has me here. And I got to bring my team in and we got to like jump into this like feet first and join the parishes and help them as much as possible. And we probably will like lose reputation with some people and uh, people will probably be mad at us and our, our ability to be effective in ministry might be like, might be hurt in this, but like, this is where the Lord has us and we're here for a reason mm-hmm. and we're going to make a go at it. We're going to, we're going to try to try to help parishes through this process. You know, 
Are you gonna get your um, real? Are you gonna get your like realtor um, uh, uh, um, license just in case this goes wrong? <laughs> um, I know people have done that, and uh, I might have to. Yeah. <laughs> that or just become a consultant. I'm Those a, are the only yeah, option for... in, in history. Right? I'm a consultant. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to relate. <laughs> you know, certainly not going to relate Sean and I to uh, Francis and Dominic or anything like that. But the, you know, I mean, the Lord raises up. And it's always surprising what happens. Like you think about in the wake mm-hmm. of the devastation of the French Revolution. All the saints that, that came about in France, all the religious orders that were started, all the ministries that were started in France after the French Revolution, where you think the church is in ruins, it's in decimated. And, and so the Holy Spirit never stops working. So it's, you know, we just have to do the very best we can to make sure, you know, what you said, Luke, that we are actually channels of the Holy Spirit, that we are, that we are in that stream and we're not fighting that stream for our own particular purposes. Yeah. I don't know anyone in this yeah. process that has anything particularly to gain by it personally. In fact, I would say people are looking at it and saying, well, there's going to be some suffering here. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some loss, some sorrow. I have my own misgivings about it. I mean, one of my misgivings is we've got large churches in great shape with great HVAC and great ceilings, and they're ugly as hell. And then we've got beautiful, beautiful irreplaceable gems that are almost vehicles of evangelization themselves, but they need two million, they have $5 million of deferred maintenance. And, um, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I, that's not our decision. That's within each family, but you know, the idea that we would have a well-functioning, but ugly church just, you know, bothers me, but I think we have to just proceed forward and to say, okay, we're going to hopefully, hopefully we're going to be guided to the best decisions we possibly can make. Yeah, and this is the part of the podcast where I offer my unsolicited advice as someone who is not suffering with you. So this part, uh, this is the this part. part right here. This okay. is the part. It hasn't been the whole <laughs> earlier part where I said all. This the is things. the most uh, on the minister and who does stuff in, in in the new evangelization thing ever. So yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. All right. So if you'll excuse me while I uh, backseat drive and armchair quarterback. Uh, Thanks, so, Eric. number one. <laughs> Number one, how has, in terms of the 2% decline year over year, how has COVID post numbers uh, demonstrated the lack of a church attendance? Has it been dramatically low, somewhat low? Are you seeing real numbers yet? Like, So, for instance, my church, we had four masses that were standing room only pre-COVID. Standing room is 1,500 people. Now we don't have a single mass, even though we've been back at 100% with no mass for a year, nine months, something like that. Um, we have the biggest mass has maybe peaked at 11 or 1,200. Uh, we have 1,435 butts in the seats capacity and then people standing. Um, and we've never come near a full church in all of our masses. Uh, it breaks my heart that the 7 a.m. mass, which is like your old folks, like get mass done early and quick kind of mass, has never grown more than 300. It used to be about 600. Um, our 9 and 11, they kind of alternate between 7 to 1,000. We count every mass. because, and, and they plateaued about two weeks after we had 100% mass attendance, no masks. So we've plateaued. As a parish... As a diocese, you see it across the board. Now, faith formation-wise, we're at about 80%, some places 100%. But mass attendance, we're like at 50%. 
Like, it's 50% lower than what it was, which was already a fraction of who was coming. Now, we still have in my diocese the dispensation. Do you guys still have that? No. Yeah, so, so we have the dispensation. Place. Yeah, Cardinal Donardo, for some whatever reason, he's uh, still kept the dispensation. I, I would imagine it go through Christmas. So what has COVID, what, has that hastened, increased? You know, Sean, you're kind of bobbing your head. What are your thoughts? I would say, like, um, it's um, kind of like lifts the curtain on, um, like, problems that were already there. You know, so, like, the parishes that are, are active, like, I go to St. Gertrude Parish, which is an amazing parish, and it's, like, standing room only at this point. You know, like, it, you can't fit more people in there during the masses. Not a mask in sight. I'd be willing to bet $100. Not a mask in sight. Yeah, I'd be willing to bet $100. Not a mask in sight. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, but, but parishes that were struggling before, um, it's, it's probably worse at this point. You know, it's, it's just kind of, like, laid bare the problems that were already there before COVID. Uh, but I would say, like, in a positive way, the parishes that were – Active beforehand and had like good ministry, good evangelization going on, um, took advantage of COVID and are as strong as ever coming out of it. Um, but those that didn't, they're probably suffering more. I don't know, yeah. Mike, would you say the same thing? I, I, it, it, remarkably similar. I mean, I, I was going to say that COVID. So first of all, Beacons of Light data is all based on up through 2019. So we, we excluded 2020 because it's kind of an anomaly year. But I would say that COVID was like a magnifier. So if your parish was on fire or close to on fire before uh, COVID, it came back very, very strong because people missed it. If your parish was lukewarm before COVID, it's been slower coming back because people didn't particularly miss it. You know, it might have been some primordial sense of responsibility or muscle memory or this is what we do before we go to brunch thingy. Um, And that is not necessary in your life. And so um, I think that's been slower coming back. Interestingly, our giving for the year is up. The, the Catholic Ministries Appeal is a record heard by, by a long shot. I don't know what that means. I don't know what to make of that because I don't know if that's, <laughs> well, we couldn't go to church, but by God, at least we could support the church. I don't, I don't know what that mm-hmm. means um, and if it's sustainable, but of course... None of it's sustainable unless we engage, you know, younger people because we just like every diocese, the majority of our givers are over 50. Yeah, probably over 60, really. I I wouldn't be surprised if it was some a mix of of that and the stock market doing well yeah. overall, and that's because you've, you've seen that with with, with with like a lot of groups who tend to have a who have an older donor base have actually done better over the past, I'm like you know. Over the past like year and a half, because of, because of that fact, yeah. You know? But I mean, I so, think I think um, what all think COVID really did was just accelerate what was already happening. Sure, sure. Well, uh, we're at the like eleven uh, ten mark. I want to make sure that that I respect I respect um, your guys' time because like Sean is you know like old and has you know like, I'll young be up kids. with kids tonight you yeah. know so it's no big deal. <laughs> Sean's a part it. of old that FC with with me here. So heck um, yeah, I mean Gomer's got to get there sometime, right? <laughs> no, I've been I've been literally eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich this entire time. That's why I so, keep doing this with my head below the camera. <laughs> nom, nom, nom. I just, I just want to make sure that like, is there anything to our uh, thousands and thousands of listeners um, 
that you guys would like want to share about? Like, is there anything like like we missed that you would hope that you that you might be able to talk about? Any stories about me that you would like to share? Nah. Or, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever. I have so many Luke stories. So many Luke stories. <laughs> it goes all the way back to his childhood when um, he, like he had a big fro and um, he was very awkward. The perm. The perm. He was very awkward. He was like best friends with my little brother. You ever want to have my uh, cartilage pierced? That was great. Exactly. Oh, and I, like, I beat him up. Like, I beat, he, like he was afraid of me. Sean was a bully. I, no one believes I, me. Sean I, was a legit bully, and you know it. But, like, you, you like, were asking for it. Like, just yeah, like, the no, way I you were. I've been saying that yeah, for years. For it, Literally so. 20 years I've been saying that. Oh, just because I'm chubby and have quick. a speech impediment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I played football. Um, Sean, can I ask you a real quick question? Yes, again. And I, I need honesty here. I need honesty. <laughs> Luke's sisters compared to Luke. Like, just oh my exponentially gosh. attractive. And Luke, how did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. It's like, it, it's, it's uncanny. I don't know how to describe it. It is, it is shocking. They You're are, like, oh my God. And not, no, and not only that, like personality wise, they're like, they have a personality. Yeah, yeah. they're gems. <laughs> And then you see Luke, and you're like, "Really, we're doing this again?" Okay, just right. because you're upset that like me and Mike went to one of the most prestigious Catholic schools in the world doesn't mean that you have to. Jeez, right. I will yep. be jealous when I see a diploma. I, I will got... be jealous when you finish. go Flyers. Go Flyers. Yeah, enjoy your heresy. Take that out. Take that out. No, 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 keep that in. Keep that in. Oh, I had so I got my, season my, tickets because there was. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. My unsolicited advice. This was actually I didn't even. I asked a question. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 sorry. No, no, we no, haven't no, got totally to the advice fault. yet. Yeah. I literally, literally, my brain was like, ask a question about COVID, and then I totally forgot to say my unsolicited advice. So. Father Michael Schmitz, have you ever heard of him? <laughs> yes, I've, I've heard of him. Right. So God's gift to humanity, uh, and now God's gift to podcasting. I'm not also jealous. ordained uh, by Archbishop Schnur. So this is what I'm going to say. I met it's Father crazy. Mike Schmitz, um, or uh, I, I've done a bunch of events with him and stuff. We text each other; it's fine. Don't worry about it. But he uh, he invited me out to do Tobit, theology of the body immersion for teens, and I've done it twice. And each time, the so the second time I was there. Uh, all, all the priests of the diocese or a bunch of priests are invited to come and help out during this weekend. And I remember being like, okay, so this is, this is what I saw of the priests. They're all young. They're excited. They're awesome. They have community with each other. They're instantly like, it's like me and Luke and AMDG, like our household from Franciscan. Like I get around people. We immediately start like laughing and joking and picking on each other and doing all the things that dudes do. I have never seen in my entire life as a Roman Catholic priest do that to each other until these guys. And so I walk up to Father Mike, and, and it's, it's, it's late on Saturday. We had just finished Saturday evening. And I go, my, Father Mike, can I talk to you for a second? And he's like, yeah, sure, Gomer, what's up? And I was like, dude, are you the reason? Because you look a few years. He's like 10 years older than these priests. I go, are you the reason why these priests are here? And he goes, what do you mean? Well, yeah, I invited them. And I go, no, 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 why they're priests? Like, what do you do? And he goes, oh, I was like, these guys are awesome. They're engaged. They're, you know, whatever. And he goes, oh, no, that's all our former bishop. And I said, yeah, well, what, 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 what do you mean? What happened? And he goes, schnur. And I was like, I don't know what a schnur is. And so <laughs> he, starts, he tells me that once a month he would drive like four hours 
from Duluth to where, like maybe St. Paul or wherever the heck their seminary was. And he would spend like four or five days out there and he would sleep at the seminary and he would just be with his guys. I was like, oh, is he leading them spiritually? He's like, no, he would just be with us. Like we all had a relationship with him. Uh, fast forward X years to me here now in, in Houston and seeing the status of the priesthood and its rapid decline here in our archdiocese. And I was talking with this one priest who said, it is very difficult to be a priest because we don't have a father. Cardinal DiNardo is amazing, but he has repeatedly said, like, I need to keep a distance from you in case I have to discipline, in case bad things happen. So my unsolicited advice is Archbishop Schnur is now the head of a much bigger diocese than Duluth. He, I don't know what it's like. I don't know anything. I'm speaking out of my booty. My unsolicited advice is he needs to 10 times, 10x exponential increase his fatherhood of these priests. Or these 49 pastors are going to be 25 pastors in five years. 60. Is gonna, 60. Sixty. Oh, pastors. sixty pastors. Oh, forty-nine. Yeah, okay. So that the, the forty-nine whole, that are forty-nine will not be pastors. Yeah, they'll be sorry ejected from the game. Uh, no, but the, like, like in the I'll delete that. Uh, <laughs> in the core, these sixty are going to go through hell, and I can tell you how hard it is to go through hell without your dad, and how rough it can be, and just as their charism of governance enables them to have far bigger amplification by the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of their parishioners than what I, as a layperson, with all my podcasts, still can't get to the level of a side comment from a priest during a homily. The same is true with Archbishop Schnur. His ability to radiate fatherhood into the lives of his priests, his pastors, especially his pastors, and his principals, I think is going to be the most important thing going forward. So when you discern with the Holy Spirit and all prayer and sacrifice and, uh, you know, the ritual sacrificial offerings of animals that you guys do (laughs) at the diocesan level, when it comes down to these names that I'm guessing is like a roll of the dice, when when it comes down to these (laughs) names, my unsolicited advice is Archbishop Schnur, overly father these men, and whoever your priests and presidents are of your Catholic schools, father them as well. And if you are the law of the lid, then everyone here's the here's the like the magic sauce of today. In modernity, we're all orphans. And we're all in search of a father. And institutionally, he's our father. Right? Like how awesome the radiation of fatherhood, the sacramental life, if the sacraments are real, his holy orders has to manifest in that way unsolicited advice just send him this episode tell him to skip all the stuff in the beginning boom we're done except <laughs> for the a, card he's a podcast listener yeah he's a oh yeah, i'm sure love it. Turned, and he does love me so we're fine it's true it's true <laughs> he likes you luke i heard that he's just not ready to love again oh <laughs> uh, cool well hey guys this was very very fun i really i'm appreciating you guys you. i'm sorry Thank about you. all of the insanity in the beginning but uh, this is good, and I'm, I'm praying for you all. I cannot be involved in the slightest, so please don't ask. No, I'm just kidding. I knew you guys, <laughs> that was the last thing you were going to do. But um, I feel like if there was like a Cincinnati um, option, it would involve just like a lot of beer and just me being a little bit much. 
I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Look, so, guys, we're over the Rhine. We're <laughs> over the Rhine. There's a great song by the uh, – okay, never mind. It's just about – there's a great song about, like, over the Rhine. And I'm Cincinnati, and it was just – it's by the uh, Nash, the guy that's in the National. They have a side band with, like, no the cares. Bonnie Bear guy. No it's great. Anyways, no I care. I love that city so much. Uh, but I'm praying for you guys. Any, and, closing, uh, any closing comments or words you want to say? Think, yeah, yeah. Sorry, any, any – no, I think yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear Luke's praying for us, and, and hopefully you will too, Gomer, because uh, – and I loved your advice, by the way, your unsolicited advice, um, because I think it's going to take courage, right? I think it's going to take courage on the part of our leaders and our spiritual leaders, and uh, it, they would they would be – you know, their courage will be uh, – what's the right word? Magnified, uh, helped uh, by, their, by their spiritual father. So I think that's important advice, and I'll, I'll pass it along. The, um, I think the main thing is, is prayer. I mean, if we all stay united in prayer, that's what's going to get us through this is making sure we are truly um, channels of God's will and, um, and just try and do our best to unite ourselves with that. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that um, so far in talking to pastors and parish leaders, there's been as much excitement as there has been anxiety because everybody knows there's a problem. Like anybody in parish work, or any pastor knows there's a problem. And so I think most most parish leaders, most pastors, even though they're anxious about this, are seeing this as an opportunity. And so I have a lot of hope. And uh, yeah, like Mike said, just keep us in prayer. Wouldn't it be funny if somehow, like, I'm a father, Dan Hatch just becomes like the holiest thing ever, like he already is. And it just like, already makes is, everything so. okay. Yeah, then we, just we just need more Father Dan Hess in yeah. our life. Yeah. So, Rodre removes your diocese and converts from orthodoxy back to Catholicism. Who knows? It can happen. Wouldn't Just come to St. Gertrude. Come, yeah. come to St. Gertrude. He's like, that mean uh, tweet from that guy really changed my mind. I'd be like, see, I was right to say that. Don't insult my <laughs> Luke is the Benedict option. <laughs> Just be lucky I didn't do it off of the Catching Foxes thing. I almost did. More reach. All right, guys. Yeah, uh um, thank you guys thank again. If, if people want to find out like more about what you guys are doing, just if they want to, you know, just kind of be like, what the heck? Like, yeah. where? It sounds weird. Like, where can they go to, to find out more about this change of everything? Well, they can go to beaconsaoc.org. Oh, look at that. B-E-A-C-O-N-S-A-O-C, meaning Archdiocese of Cincinnati, not Alexandria, Oksana, whatever her name is. Ocasio-Cortez.org. Mike, I love you. Got it. I will add that to the show notes. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Uh, I'm going to stop recording. This is fun. Oh, everyone, uh, and thank you for, like, I'm listening, blah, 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 blah. Please go to Patreon. Thanks to insert ad, ad people here. Sean, you're finally on the show, man. I am, like, my life is, is complete. I've talked about you, point. like, a thousand times on here. I know. I know. I tried to get you on before. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop now. One, two, three.